Good morning, everyone. As was mentioned, I am with, uh, my name is Frank Figueroa. Actually, the reason I came to Kansas specifically was to go to yesterday's K-State game. Um, yeah, yeah, so, you know, so uh, one, the, the young man from the, and I see the shirt right there, the young man from the island next to ours in Hawaii is the second string nose guard. Uh, for K-State, and he was picked up uh, and, and got a scholarship to go to school. And so one of the things we know in Hawaii, if we've learned anything from Lilo and Stitch, Ohana means family, and family means nobody gets left behind, right? So uh, we, we were going to show up at the K-State game, and April and I stood in the pouring rain and uh, braved it. But it was an awesome game, and uh, it was, it, it, so uh, therefore we were, uh, through a chain of events, uh, invited to be here at the church, and, and I'm so grateful to be with you folks. Uh, Reasons for Hope is a, a basic Christian apologetics ministry teaching people that we can stand on the Word of God from the very first verse all the way through, that God is the authority and He is large and in charge. Amen? Um, but if I got to greet you properly from where I am, I would like to say aloha. aloha. That was weak. Aloha. aloha. Nice. Uh, today we're going to be talking about, uh, the one of the questions that we get asked quite a bit is, well, if a good God is good, why would he allow suffering in this world? Anybody ever been asked that? Um, well, we're going to answer that, and sometimes one of the best ways to answer it is uh, by means of a video. This is our video in our series of videos, number 11, Suffering Disproves a Good God Debunk. Check this out. A not-so-new claim is being regurgitated all across the globe these days, and it goes a little something like this. There's so much pain and suffering in the world, there can't be a good God. Well, let's dive in. But before we do, let me tell you, this is the fastest response to this claim known to man, and is merely a plain, kind of logical, and no way comprehensive one, hurled upon you sans emotion and utterly lacking gentility. This is debunked, after all not the nice. Okay, we're going to break this claim down in two parts and respond in rapidly rational rhetoric, rightly rendering reason right before your very eyes. Two little duck ducks all in a row. Let's knock them down. Duck numero one. A good God wouldn't allow pain and suffering. Really, why not? Seriously, what if the temporal nature of pain and suffering was actually necessary to accomplish a greater eternal thing? I mean, that's how the Apostle Paul understands it. Listen to his words. But we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame. He continues with, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. And he brings it home with this, for this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. So Paul realizes, at least from a Christian perspective, that pain, suffering, and trials are real but temporary, necessary in preparing us for something greater, and not worth even comparing to the eternal life God grants us through Christ. Now, my pal Mr. Lewis, CS, not Jerry, wrote this, God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks in our consciences, but shouts in our pains. It is his megaphone to arouse a deaf world, a duck dose. If there is a God, he doesn't care about us, otherwise he wouldn't allow pain and suffering. Okay, here's a bit of history and context for clarity coming at you solo style in less than 12 parsecs. God creates a beautiful, good, sinless, and perfect universe for us to live and flourish in. We utterly destroy it by our own free will, then we keep on committing horrible crimes against him and each other even though we know better. But he doesn't lop off our heads the minute we do something bad. He's patient with us and pursues us in love, steps into time and space as the God-man Jesus gives his life for ours, takes on the punishment we deserve by dying on a cross, then conquers sin and death when he rests from the dead, allowing anyone who repents of their sins and places their trust in him to be redeemed, restored, renewed, and live in paradise with him forever, even though we don't deserve it. Now, 
Does that sound like a God who doesn't care? I think not. Ah, oh, that's fine in all you say, but I can't see a good and morally sufficient reason why this particular bad thing happened to this person, so I don't believe there's a good God. So answer me this. What percentage of all there is to know do you know? And let's say you know 0.001%, which is pretty liberal considering you and all there is to know. The God described in the Bible knows 100% of all there is to know. Somewhere in that gaping chasm between the little you know and all that God knows, you're telling me there can't be a morally sufficient or good reason why God might allow something bad to happen? You're banking on the impossible chance that you know more than God. So you're telling me there's a chance. No, Lloyd, no chance. And I end with this because I want to. In Job 38 through 41, God asked Job, a man who went through untold sufferings but started questioning God's motive and character, a series of questions. Here's my faith. Can you bind the chains of Pleiades or loose the cords of Orion? Do you know the ordinances of the heavens? Can you establish their role on earth? Paraphrase, I create stars and planets, bro. I establish all laws out of thin air that govern the universe. And you want to question me? Well, Job gets it and says this, Behold, I am of small account. I know that you can do all things, and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. I have uttered what I do not understand, things too wonderful for me, which I do not know. Therefore, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. I don't know, but maybe this should be our position when it comes to questioning God about things we have little capacity to fully understand. It might be a bit wiser to do what the psalmist says and trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. Because honestly, when it comes to comparing our knowledge to God's, we don't know Jack. But we can know Jesus, the ultimate remedy for all pain and suffering and the one that will put an end to all evil. And that is that on that. This claim that there can't be a good God if there is pain and suffering, this faulty notion that God doesn't care about us, has been utterly debunked. Adios. How many of you like it? Um, what, what, uh, what, one of the things we love to do is we have 22 of these videos on a variety of topics. And uh, uh, how many of you would like access to this? Uh, free of charge, um, take out your phones. I know that's frowned upon in church. And, uh, but if you take out your phones and you're going to send a text message to Reasons for Hope, what you're going to do is in the number, you're going to type 51555, 51555. And then in the message section, you are going to type adios space Frank. So 51555 in the number, adios space, not the word space, just a space Frank. Um, that lets them know where you've heard this before. I'm one of the four speakers with reasons for hope. And what happens is once you click send, you will get back pretty quickly a link. Uh, once you get that link, it will ask you if you want to give any information uh, to our ministry. And the information that you give basically is so that we can know what part of the country people are in, where our uh, effort should be most uh, sent. And also we will try to give you a call once a year uh, to ask if there is anything we can do to pray for you if there's anything that we can do to serve you. Because ministry is not about us, it's about Jesus, amen? And therefore, we wanna make sure that we can be there for other people as they need it. Uh, once you send that back and you click on Get Debunked, it'll take you to our app and our website. And you can actually then uh, download our app through that. Or if you go to the app store, you can download the app directly that way. Um, but what I wanted to talk to you about today, which I was asked uh, to speak on, was the passage that Pastor Jack read 
earlier this morning. First Peter chapter 5, verses 7 through 11, which says, Casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. Be sober and be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Resist him steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. But may the God of all grace, who called us to his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after you have suffered a while, perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. And to him be glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. If we look closely at this verse, what we are going to see is that it's bifurcated into two parts. I'll call it the dark part and the light part. In the dark part, he lays out that there's an adversary, the devil, who wants to take us down. And part of that taking us down is suffering. But then he goes into the light part that after that suffering, God who calls us into grace will strengthen, perfect, settle, and establish us, and he will receive the glory. But what about when the suffering really comes? October 25th, 2008, my wife and I experienced it. My bride, my one and only, who you may have seen in the lobby, was diagnosed with cancer. And we went through an amazingly brutal eight years. What I mean by that is um, she had to undergo surgery immediately. Shortly after the surgery, the chemotherapy started. She was diagnosed with stage one, which is good, but uh, she had grade three, which is the worst possible type that you can get. And so they slammed everything they had at her. Uh, this is a picture of her on Christmas Eve. By this point, her hair was falling out by clumps. And if you're in a church the size that I pastored, your family is the people who run the sound and projection and such. You just, that's the way it's gotta be. And this night, she was wearing a hat because bald spots were thro showing through. And, and she told me, I don't want people to look at me and not Jesus tonight. And, and, and so she wore the hat and that night we went home and for Christmas Eve, we shaved our heads together unto the Lord. I don't know if there was a heavier moment throughout this ordeal. Uh, February 5th was her last day of chemotherapy, 12 weeks, including shots that I had to give her every day. She then started seven weeks of radiation. On April 9th, 2009, she finally finished her radiation, but there were still many years of treatments to follow including medications uh, that affected her greatly. One of the things when you're living in Hawaii and they tell you you can't go out in the sun anymore, that's kind of a bummer, you, you, you know, and, and, and so that was really rough. Uh, we would never have our own children because of the circumstance that God allowed in our lives. And, and I'll say this, if I had my own children, I wouldn't be able to be here in front of you today. And so God has his reasoning and his timing and, and his purpose in things. And so we went through eight years of just, just, to me, what was untold horror. And yet, when we thought things were finally getting better, they actually started to get worse. My mom was diagnosed with a spinal condition, and she went from being absolutely normal to not being able to hardly walk without a walker, not being able to drive and so forth, and so we had to help take care of her. The only baby that we've ever known um, we had her for 19 years. We lost her, and, and, and it just seemed to implode, and then one day we get a call from the doctor, and they said, you know what? We think the cancer has come back, and, and, and I'm like, okay, God, what now? What now? And, and if I'm honest, I felt like I was drowning. 
Like I was constantly trying to find my way up and struggling to do so. Uh, This picture best summed up my life. I felt like everybody else was living in color and I was stuck in black and white. Like life had lost its vibrancy and the world didn't stop just because we were going through this. In fact, we still had work to do. Um, We had relationships that we had to maintain we still had to pursue God with everything that we had. And we still had to serve in ministry because at a church my size, I had nobody else that I could say, hey, can you teach for me for a while? You get up and you do it. If, if there needed, I was a worship leader, sound guy, pastor, everything. And people still needed their everything. And, and so you just kind of go. And what's interesting is just because cancer is a common occurrence doesn't mean uh, that that there aren't many who, in fact, it means many will suffer from it. What I mean, one in eight women will develop breast cancer. Uh, 2021, which is the last year they have full stats on record right now, 268,600 new cases. And 3.1 million breast cancer survivors exist in our country. But just because something is common doesn't mean that we handle it well. In fact, what I felt like was my heart was ripping out a piece at a time. And as a guy, all you want to do is take care of your bride. And not being able to do that, that was a struggle. And I felt alone and desperate. I started to suffer with anxiety. I would lie in bed and just cry. And, and my wife would sing hymns to me. She, she was the strong one in this, trying to pick me up, speaking truth to my soul so that I would believe it. And, and what that did was it caused me to say, you know what, God, you're the only one who has truth for my soul. That, that can help me in this situation, amen? And so one of the places that I found it was in Psalm 42. And I want you to go there with me, Psalm 42. We're gonna start in verse one because Psalm 42 also has a dark side and a light side. We, we probably have said this first line and, and, or sang songs that have it. As the deer pants for the water brooks, so pants my soul for you, O God. How many of you know that part? Okay, so here's the question. Why is the deer panting? The rest of the psalm explains it. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? For my tears have been my food day and night, while they continually say to me, where's your God? And I remember these things, and I pour out my soul within me. For I used to go with the multitude. I went with them to the house of God with the voice of joy and praise with the multitude that kept the pilgrim feast. I used to love to go to church and worship and sing, and now it's a chore. Now it's just, it's rough. And then in verse 5, he does something interesting. He speaks truth to his own soul because his own soul is having trouble believing it. The light part. He says, why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise him for the help of his countenance. I don't know when it's coming, but I know he's going to help me, and it's coming. And you would think that would end it, that from there on he'd be good. But no, when you go to verse 6, he goes right back into the dark, because it's a battle, right? It's a battle. Oh my God, my soul is cast down within me. Therefore, I will remember you from the land of Jordan, from the heights of Hermon, from the hill Mitzer. Deep calls unto deep the noise of your waterfalls. All your waves and billows have gone over me, and the Lord will command his loving kindness in the daytime, and in the night his song shall be with me. A prayer to the God of my life, and I will say to God my rock, listen to this honest statement, my God, why have you forgotten me? 
Why do you go? I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy. As with the breaking of my bones, my enemies reproach me while they say to me all day long, where is your God? And then in verse 11, he repeats what he said exactly in verse 5. Because just because we know the truth doesn't mean that we easily accept the truth. And, and so he says the same thing. He speaks this to his own soul. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise him, the help of my countenance and my God. Someday he's going to get me through this. Amen? I needed to keep reminding myself, and April kept reminding me as well, that God has got us and he's got this. After all, he is not dead. He's large, he's in charge, and he's in control. And it brings us back to our main passage, and why does he allow this to happen? Why does he allow it? And, and, and therefore, I want to kind of break down this passage a little bit, maybe by points, so we can understand it. Because suffering is a part of life. And there's no way around it. We suffer. All people suffer. In fact, even Jesus, our Lord, suffered wrongfully. Just so we remember, Matthew 26, Jesus goes with his boys to Gethsemane. And he says, Jesus came to a place called Gethsemane and said to the disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. And he took with him Peter, the two sons of Zebedee, and began to be sorrowful and deeply distressed. And he said to them, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even unto death. Stay here and watch with me. Uh, just a, a caveat. If you have people that you can be accountable and honest with and you're suffering, tell them. Bring them in. We as people want to suffer alone for some reason. But God has given us people to be alongside us in it. And Jesus brought people with him to help him through it. Amen? So, so let's do that. He went a little further, it says, and he fell on his face and he prayed saying, check this out, oh my father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. God, I pictured something different, but I don't want what I want. I want what you want. And that's a tough prayer. That's hard. And he went through some insane suffering to the point where while he's praying this and, and doing this, he's sweating drops of blood because he understands what we in the human condition go through. I want to read to you what Elma Wilcox penned down in a poem regarding Gethsemane. She said, down shadowy lane and across strange streams, bridged over by our broken dreams, behind the misty caps of years, beyond the great salt fawn of tears, the garden lies, strive as you may, you cannot miss it in your way. All paths that have been or shall be pass somewhere through Gethsemane. All those who journey soon or late must pass within the garden's gate must kneel alone in darkness there and battle with some fierce despair. God pity those who cannot say, not mine, but thine, who only pray, let this cup pass and cannot see the purpose in Gethsemane. There's a purpose why God has allowed it. And in 1 Peter chapter 5, he shares with us part of that purpose. First, we cast all our cares upon him for he cares for you. We have to be people who learn to trust. We learn to trust him. The only way we can have strength in our trials is by casting it all upon Jesus. Why? Because he's the only one who loves us with perfect love. 
He's the only one who shares perfect truth. And so therefore, we cast it upon him. It's an interesting word, this word cast. It's iprito in the Greek, which means to throw at or throw on. Kind of like loading a burden onto a pack animal. The reason that we put it on the animal is because it can carry a burden that we can't carry. It's too heavy for us. Psalm 55, 22 says, cast your burden on the Lord and he shall sustain you. He shall never permit the righteous to be moved. In other words, Jesus is strong enough to carry the load no matter how heavy it may be. So we need to throw our burdens onto him because he can take it even when we can't. What a glorious truth. Amen. Second thing, we must learn self-control. This word be sober. In, in, this word is including uh, balancing life's important issues, even the heavy ones. It requires discipline of mind and body so that we avoid intoxicating allurements because we can be intoxicated by things more than alcohol. So, so just so we're clear, it, it's getting life's things in order. Sober, needful, is the opposite of intoxicated. In fact, it's a word that you will see a couple of times, including in Ephesians chapter 5, which is circumspect or careful in our thinking. 1 Peter 4, 7 says, The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be serious and watchful in your prayers. And I would argue I have never been more serious and watchful in my prayers than those 10 years that we were going through this battle with cancer. Never. Because all of a sudden, the main thing is the main thing. And you see it. And, and, and so you deal with it the only way you can, by bowing the knee and, and crying out in your heart to a God who can hear. Third thing, we must learn vigilance. Be vigilant. Why? Because the, your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. This word for vigilance is uh, to be on guard. Because we face an enemy that's fierce and relentless. And so we're constantly scanning and watching out because the enemy wants to do us harm. And when you hear about the roaring lion, if you're like me, you think of the roaring lion that lives in a place that you go to visit it called the zoo, zoo right? And, 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 and if you're like me, when you see the roaring lion, it's kind of interesting because you go out there and the lion comes out of its cage and it kind of looks around and it does that lion stretch thing. Right? And, and then it goes, right? and it lets out this little roar, uh, and, and, and you're like, what is there to be afraid of that? This is the lion they were thinking of, the one that just ate their friends, the one that they would throw you to if you kept the faith. This is the lion. And so when they say that there's a lion who desires to devour, this was no joke to the people of Jesus' day. And, and in fact, God allows this at times. Devastation to come in. Just read the book of Job. And, and, and he's glorified in it. And sometimes we don't know how, but he's faithful. Even while we're in the circumstance and situation. In fact, 1 Peter 1.13 says, Therefore, gird up the loins of your mind. Be sober and rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. That, that God knows what he's doing. And therefore, we have to take our mind into control. And if you were like me, you were deceived into thinking, well, I got this. Because when I was young in my Christian walk, I'm all, Satan, I'm a Christian now, bring it. And then he brought it. And all of a sudden, I realized how foolish I was. 
that, that we think we have strength and power, but only God has the strength and the power. And, and, and it's that crushing that brings us to our knees that helps us see we need the Lord. In fact, I love what John MacArthur said. He said, if Satan so easily deceived Eve in Eden's perfect environment, how much more are redeemed sinners living in a sinful fallen world susceptible to Satan's craftiness and deception? Be careful. There's an enemy out there who wants to take us down. We also learn fortitude. It says resist him steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. This word for resist is a military term. Steadfast is another military term. Uh, it means to oppose, to stand against, to be solid, to be firm, to catch each other's back. Never turning around. God gave us no armor for the back. Why? Because we're supposed to stand and fight. But what about when you're struggling to even stand? Then we kneel and fight. We just sang the first song this morning, that the battle belongs to the Lord. Yet how many times have we battled it ourselves? Be honest. And you know what I realized as a worship pastor, as I was doing that for years back home as well, is that so many times we sing a lie. We sing this thing well-intentioned and we go and we battle it ourselves and we don't give it to the Lord. Why? He's the only one who can take it. He's the only one who can win it. Amen? And so we stand firm. That the battle is his. He has promised the victory. We probably have memorized this next passage, 2 Corinthians 10, 3 through 5. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for the pulling down of strongholds. We cast down arguments in every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity into the obedience of Christ. God's word needs to be in me, and the only way that happens is I need to be in God's word. And so that needs to be the priority. And then we resist him steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in all the world. In other words, this is not an uncommon thing. We stand together. We need each other. The only way to stand on against the devil is with the absolute pure truth in God's word. And one of the best places you can get absolute pure truth in God's word is right here at this church. Amen? So every time the doors are open, we should be here because we can find solace in the Lord in this place. And it is then that we start to learn to have hope. 1 Peter 5.10, may the God of all grace who called us to his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after you have suffered a while, perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. In other words, it's here that he starts to calm down. He starts to become settled. It provides us as believers with confidence and we can count on being glorified with the Lord Jesus in heaven. Therefore, when God allows suffering, he never allows us to be separated from him. And in fact, part of the reason for suffering is he's making us into the people that he wants us to be. A little piece of wood once complained bitterly because its owners kept whittling away at it, cutting and filling it with holes. But the one who was cutting at it so remorselessly paid no attention to its complaining. He was making a flute out of that little piece of ebony and he was too wise to desist from doing so even though the wood complained bitterly. And he seemed to say, little piece of wood, without these holes and all this cutting, you would just be a black stick forever. Just a useless piece of ebony. What I am doing now, may, you may not think I am destroying you, but instead I will change you into a flute and your sweet music will charm the souls of men and comfort many a sorrowing heart. For my cutting you is the making of you. For only thus can you be a blessing to the world. 
I remember when April and I, we would see women walking around in the store with a neckerchief on their head, no hair. And you know what's going on. And we would go, oh, how sad. And we would pray by ourselves for that, that lady. Now, I go up to him. You know what, ma'am? You don't know me, but I kind of know what you're going through a little bit. Can I pray for you here? Because it's different when somebody understands. And so all of a sudden, God makes us to be able to bring comfort in a place that needs it desperately. And it's only when we understand this that we truly learn to worship. Because after the battle, that's where worship gets real. What do I mean? Because this heart that's worshiping now, this heart has learned to trust. It's learned to have self-control. It's learned to be vigilant. It's learned to have fortitude. It's learned to have hope. And therefore, it can truly worship. I love what Corey Ten Boom said. She said, there is no pit so deep that he is not deeper still. God will get us out of this. In fact, Isaiah 64, verse 8, But now, O Lord, you are our Father. We are the clay and you are the potter. And all we are, the work of your hand. Even though I struggled, in the feelings that I were going through, and the waves and billows felt like they kept coming over me. The entire ordeal belonged to God, and I never doubted that God was with us. Never. But it was still a struggle. John 16, reminded me that these things I have spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world. What a reminder from our Lord and Savior. One of the things that this entire ordeal got us into was these shooting sports. April, because the medicine made April stressed, and so in order to shoot accurately, you had to be calm enough to be able to be successful, but it was, shooting is kind of aggressive, so it helped get that out. And if you get into the shooting sports, we got into archery a, a lot, and if you get into archery, you gotta get into bow hunting. I'm just saying, that's just part of the deal. So we got into bow hunting. So some of you are thinking, well, why bring this up? What has this got to do with the Bible? Well, I'm gonna introduce you to someone. This is April's father. April's father was a good man, a very nice moral man, but he was not a believer. He, he didn't entrust Jesus. He, he never went to church, and he struggled with his relationship, and he shared that with us at the end. And what I mean by that is we actually formed a, a group in Hawaii because April and I were into archery and we, we called it Center Shot Hawaii. Uh, that, and so what we did was we taught kids archery in our community. We lived in a super poor community. I raised the money to buy all the equipment and we went ahead and we shared with the kids and we would do half hour shoot, half hour Bible study, half hour shoot. What's interesting is April's dad, we got a call that he developed cancer as well two years ago and if you wanna see him, you need to come now. And so we flew up to the mainland and we came to see him in Phoenix and all of a sudden he told us, you know what, I need you to know something. And these are pretty much his closing words. I've learned that Jesus loves me and I want you to know that I love Jesus and therefore you can rest because I love Jesus and Jesus loves me. And it's kind of weird because we were like, okay, where did we hear the, where, where did he hear the gospel? if he never went to church or whatnot. Well, and, and there were some changes in the last few months of his life. What happened? Well, come to find out, um, April, this is April's brother and his wife and their three kids. And notice if you're in my family, you're gonna win the medals at the archery tournament. That's just the way it is. So, just saying. So, but they, they came to the archery tournament. Well, every time her dad 
was in Hawaii, he would come to watch his kids shoot archery because he was a bow hunter as well. And he would stick around for those gospel presentations, that half hour Bible study. And by means of that, he heard the gospel. No cancer, no shooting archery would mean no center shot, no gospel going to dad. God knows what he's doing. Uh, and, and I'll end with this one. We even got to go to Romania. A church in Romania saw what we were doing in our archery program and said, hey, we'd like to start one in Romania. We have a lot of orphans here. Would you be willing to come and do that? We fundraised and raised all the money. The church in Romania didn't have to do anything. And we went and we shared archery and Bible studies with children in Romania. We taught them how to do the Hawaii shaka thing because you got to do that if you're in the other side of the world. In fact, it's interesting. They don't say, I love you to the moon and back. Their expression is, I love you to Honolulu and back. And, I, and I'm not kidding, that's for real. Because it's a place they'll never go to, and so th to them it's as far as the moon. And so when they heard a guy from Hawaii has come to tell you about Jesus, they were like, a Martian is here. You know, they, they, so, so they all came. Over 100 kids came, many of whom were from an orphanage, and these children right here in this room were all children who either gave their hearts to Christ or reconsecrated their lives to Christ. And they're going through some deep stuff. But once again, no archery, no, no cancer, no archery, no Romania, no children hearing the gospel. God knows what he's doing. Uh, the little boy in the black in the front, his name is Luca. He came up and said, can you pray for me? Because I'm going through the suffering. My daddy left me and my mommy for another lady. He gets it. And he's praying that God will lift him through his suffering. The boy in the back in the blue shirt, his name is Gabby. I told him, Gabby, because he rededicated his life. How did you first hear about Jesus? He goes, one day when I was in the orphanage, and he is the oldest child to ever get adopted from the orphanage at age 14. Yeah, how did you first hear about Jesus? He goes, well, one day I was in the orphanage, and then somebody came in and they gave me a shoebox. Anybody in here give it? Right, right? I've given out dozens of those shoe boxes in my life. And I've never met anybody who's got them. And he goes, wait. And he runs upstairs and he comes down. He goes, this is my lantern. And he was holding in his hand a flashlight that he received in the shoebox. And he goes, this is the favorite thing I've ever owned. Why? Well, because this shows me that this little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. And I used to be in darkness, but now I'm in light. And, and I'm like, you, you need to preach for me, bro. You, 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 you need to get out there and do it. Why? Because after we've suffered a while, God has this way of perfecting and establishing and strengthening and settling us. I'll end with this verse. Persecutions, afflictions, which happened to me at Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra. What persecutions I endured. And Paul went through a lot of stuff. Out of them all, the Lord delivered me. I'm just here to say that we have a God who hears. And his desire is to take us out of it. We don't know when. We don't know how. But he's going to do it. Amen. So I want to leave you today with a reason for hope. And his name is Jesus. If you have the opportunity, check us out on our app. We have a lot of information and, and things on there for free. Uh, that our desire is just, our desire is to not to make money, it's to make converts, to make believers. So let's get out there and do it. Um, but we do have some things for purchase. We, we, you can go out to the book table in the front. Uh, we have um, 
a book. Uh, this one was an uh, Amazon bestseller in the youth department uh, called Why Did Jesus, Com- uh, Did Jesus Commit Suicide? And 27 other questions that teens ask that their parents want to know as well. The teen's question at the camp was this. Well, if Jesus willingly killed himself, he willingly went and died, isn't that kind of like suicide? And therefore, why is that good and suicide bad? Good question. We better have an answer. And there's 20 other, 27 other questions in the book like it that we answer in 2,000 words or less so that people can get a, a, a biblical answer within one sitting and reading, check it out. We also have a brand new curriculum. April can fill you in more on that and you can check that out. It's both for homeschool as well as small groups, uh, but you can check that out. They go off all of the debunked videos that we were watching earlier today. That all being said, um, I wanna just say thank you for allowing me to be a part of your Ohana today. And we're gonna close in a word of prayer and pray that God would help us through the difficult times, amen? Let's pray. Lord, we come to you and we thank you for this day and we thank you for the suffering. That seems almost contrary to thank you for that. But you are faithful and you will settle, establish, perfect, and settle us. We don't know when and we may not know even how, but you are good and you are faithful and so therefore we kneel to you because the battle belongs to you, O God. We love you and we praise you for you alone are worthy to be loved and praised. Do this in the name of your son, Jesus Christ, amen.